Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thanks, everyone, for joining us here on Positively Trek. This is episode number 184, and I'm Bruce Gibson. And with me, as he always is, especially when it comes to talking about a season finale, is Dan Gunther. How you doing, Dan? Oh, really happy to be here. Season finale, yeah, it's always a special occasion. And uh, really excited to talk about this one. I've got some thoughts, for sure. Oh, man, I can't wait, because you and I haven't talked about it, except for one little piece of it. But we haven't talked through the whole episode offline, so I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. And, of course, that's for the season finale of Star Trek Discovery. And then we're also going to talk about Star Trek Picard, episode three of season two. But before we get to that, let's talk about something that came out in the news recently. We have James T. Kirk joining Strange New Worlds in Season 2. And Dan, I have to tell you, the first announcement I saw of this was from you posting on Facebook. Oh, really? Wow. I See, I always feel like I'm really late coming to the big announcements. So uh, that that makes me happy that, that I scooped you a little bit on that one. <laughs> you did. And when I saw that, I thought, is this a rumor that you're posting about? Ha ha, like laughing about? And then I had to go search. I'm like oh my gosh, this really is true, <laughs> that we're mm-hmm. getting Kirk in Strange New Worlds, played by Paul Wesley, who is best known for The Vampire Diaries, which I've never watched. Have you watched that show at all? I have not. No, I'm not really familiar with it. But I do know, yeah, he has a bit of a following from that show, and, and people seem to like him on it. So that's good, I guess. I guess, yeah. Um, I haven't gone to look at any YouTube videos or anything of his performances yet. I've been wanting to do that, but I just figure, look, if they cast him, he must be good. Like they saw something in him. I mean, it's not for me to decide if he should be playing the part or not. Right. Yeah, for sure. Like, like you, I haven't seen any of his performance, but just looking at the, this photo they've released and some of the on set leaked photos and stuff, he definitely looks the part. He's got that Kirk-esque quality. And I was kind of looking at the picture and thinking, he's kind of like a little bit halfway between William Shatner and Chris Pine, right? Like if if Shatner and Pine had a baby, <laughs> Paul Wesley's pretty close. <laughs> he's a Shatner-Pine baby. <laughs> Look at that. No, I, Yeah, I can see that. I can see the resemblance between the two, which I guess is kind of the Kirk look, right? We've got the Kirk look now. You know, mm-hmm. now that we've got these three actors, which, by the way, I saw in a post that you pointed out that six people have played Kirk, James T. Kirk. And do you want to go in canon? In yeah. canon, in canon. So mm-hmm. do you want to tell us who the six were? Because I came up with the five and then I saw how you got the six. Yeah, one of them's a little bit of a cheat. So, yeah, we, of course, have William Shatner in the original series and films. And then in Star Trek 2009, we have Chris Pine. And two other people, T 
technically played Kirk in that movie. We have the little baby infant at the beginning, which is kind of the cheat one. And then the kid Kirk who gets caught driving that car, you know, that whole thing. The one from the post specifically, of course, from the original series, Janice Lester, right? Switched bodies with Kirk. So Sandra Smith technically played Kirk in that episode. And uh, now, of course, we've got Paul Wesley here for number six. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a cheat with the baby, unnamed baby playing Kirk. But, yeah, whatever. <laughs> that's that's the one I missed was the baby, mm-hmm. which I was kicking myself then because I was thinking of that movie. And for some reason, my mind went to, well, we didn't see him as a baby. We saw Spock as a baby. And then when I saw the answer, I was like, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. We did see Kirk as a baby. And I was thinking of the deleted scene. Of Spock yeah, because we we don't actually see Spock as a baby because they they delete they took that scene out. I think you do in the trailer if I'm remembering correctly, but yeah, it's not in the actual film. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny. Well, next time maybe we'll try to figure out how many people have played Spock, which is a longer list, I think. Oh yes, that is a much longer list. <laughs> <laughs> Darn you, Star Trek Three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that really complicates it right there. So, but now this picture you mentioned of Paul Wesley as Kirk, I found this interesting because Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is, first of all, I'm surprised we're already getting this announcement because the series still hasn't premiered yet. And we're getting this information on season two, which is in production now. I really thought that there was a good chance we would see a Kirk eventually in this series. But I was Mm -hmm. thinking, I mean, I don't know how many seasons this will go but i was thinking it'll be sometime like in a later season or maybe they'll save it for the final episode or something they'll do something like that no way did i ever expect to hear about kirk appearing in the series before the series even premieres yeah and i i kind of feel a little bit bad for paramount here because their hands were tied a bit because it's pretty obvious that they made this announcement because of the leaks like the the set photo leaks and they kind of wanted to get ahead of it and make the announcement themselves i really think that if that hadn't have gotten out this would have been more of a kept secret until at least closer to when the character gets revealed so basically yeah there's there's some tweeted photos of kirk on set filming on location in Toronto somewhere, I'm assuming. And uh, yeah, they just wanted to get ahead of that. Interestingly, the pictures of them in Toronto on, on location, he's got a different badge than the Enterprise badge. So maybe some hints there as to how we see Kirk when he finally shows up. Okay, good. I'm glad you mentioned that because I noticed that too. I also noticed that the stripes on his sleeves indicate that he's the rank of captain Mm -hmm. so kirk is a captain i'm assuming it's within the time frame of strange new worlds which would be in second season i guess around 2260 is that what i i don't know exactly we we honestly don't know at this point when the series is set like does it take place right after discovery does it take place a few years after discovery we we don't know at this point so it's impossible to say but at least we know it's before the original series. So mm-hmm. that means that Kirk is captain before we see him in the original series. I'm assuming based on this photo that he's a captain of a different starship. Presumably, yeah. It would be kind of cool. I was thinking back to the the Christopher Bennett novel that came out. Was it last year or the year before where he's in command of the Sacagawea? 
that would be that would be kind of a neat little tie-in if they make that mention and yeah you know maybe kirsten Beyer has the ear of somebody on that writing staff and <laughs> can make that happen but then the publicity photo we get that we were talking about earlier shows him with the delta badge on so mm-hmm. and he's sitting in the captain's chair on the enterprise so it makes me wonder is it just a publicity shot where they switched out his badge and want him to sit in the chair because they wanted a picture of Kirk on the bridge? Or is this truly Kirk in an episode on the bridge of the Enterprise commanding the ship? And is it in that time frame of, of Strange New Worlds? Or is it like a fast forward look at him that's flashing back to this time? You know what I'm saying? It's like, mm-hmm. I'm wondering why he's sitting in the chair. Yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe it's just a plot point for one episode. Maybe he takes command of the Enterprise because Pike's not there. Kind of like Pike took command of Discovery in season two of Discovery and they just switch his badge because he's temporarily in command. Who knows, right? It could be anything at this point. Yeah. So I guess we'll wait next year (laughs) to find the answers to that. (laughs) But what's really cool to me is Paul Wesley tweets out, how he met Shatner on a plane that they were both sitting there in first class next to each other, just out of coincidence. I mean, Mm -hmm. how weird is that? Crazy, crazy. And as he says, like he doesn't believe in fate or, or anything like that, but it'd be hard not to when that happens. Right. I mean, he had just found out like fairly shortly before, apparently that he was going to be playing Kirk, that he got the part And then he sits next to Shatner on the plane. And like you said, just completely coincidentally, pretty wild. I also do have to say, I really like that William Shatner has kind of given his blessing on Twitter as well. We've seen that. So that's nice. The passing the torch there a little bit. I just wonder, though, when he was on the plane, did he tell Shatner that he was playing the new Kirk? He doesn't mention that in his tweet anywhere. Hmm. I just kind of assumed, but maybe he couldn't at the time either. Right. That might have been might have been unable to. Oh, that would have been tough. Man. Right. That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> like, you know, is he sitting there like, I can't say anything? And he's probably like, Well, I could tell him, but you know, tell him to keep it confidential. But what if he doesn't? And you yeah. know. But you can't. I mean, how can you not? Let's think about it. You are cast as Captain Kirk and you board a plane and you're sitting next to William Shatner and you guys are chatting. How can mm-hmm. you not say I'm the new Kirk? <laughs> but at the same time, maybe you'd really not want to either because like, you're not sure what his reaction would be in that moment. True. Like would he, maybe he'd be really mad, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he'd be like, yeah, right. Like, I got a lunatic sitting next to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm sitting next to somebody escaped from the loony bin here. This is not good. <laughs> Gosh, how weird. Okay, and, and here's a strange one, too. I sat in first class with Chris Pine. This is serious. So, oh, wow. Now, we didn't sit next to each other. He was a row behind me. But I didn't know he was there until we were getting off the plane. And then I saw hmm. those beautiful blue eyes looking at me and I was like, oh, is that Chris Pine? That's wait, no, is it? No, no. And I went back and looked at him and he looked away then, but he was looking at me. I don't know why he was looking at me. Well, he was like, is that Bruce Gibson of Positively Trek? 
<laughs> Even though Positively Trek didn't exist yet at that point, he just knew. Yeah, he just knew. <laughs> well, I did kind of feel a little weird because I thought, is he looking at me because I just happened to be reading, of all things, a Star Wars novel on the plane. Mm. And I thought, was hmm. he looking at me because of that? Like, oh, he's a Star Wars fan. I wonder if he likes Star Trek or whatever. And so I wasn't exactly sure if it was him or not. I was pretty sure it was him, but then I was like, maybe not. So then I got on the train. I'm in the Atlanta airport and we got on an empty train together and I was just standing like right next to him. And I looked over and I studied his profile and every little mark of his face and then went home and Googled it. And I was like, yep, that was him. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but no, I didn't get to, I didn't talk to him or anything. Cause like I said, I wasn't sure if it was him. I should have said something. I should have just said, Hey, do you know, you look like Chris Pine, unless you are, <laughs> I guess I was like uh, Paul Wesley, right? I didn't want Kirk to think I was weird. <laughs> but anyway, I'm, I'm excited about seeing Kirk. I, I mean, I could go either way with it. What are your thoughts about seeing him in strange new worlds? I'm interested. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's kind of something we figured they would eventually do. So yeah, I, I'm curious to see where they go with it and, and his introduction and, and yeah, I, I want to see it obviously. Obviously. Yes. So yeah, I'm excited to see it see what they do with him, but we can't end the segment without saying happy birthday to the first Captain Kirk. Today, as this episode releases, he turns 91 years old. And the reason I know that is because somebody at work I was talking to asked me how old William Shatner was. And I looked it up. I was like, oh, he's turning 91 this Tuesday. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Happy birthday, William Shatner. Amazing. You know, 91 years old at 90, the oldest person to go to space and and still trucking. Way to go. (laughs) And he'll be at Star Trek Mission Chicago this April. And that's my segue into saying that my panel is on Friday at the convention. It's at 1.45 p.m. And I don't think I went to much detail before. So this panel is about Star Trek books and comics. I am moderating the panel. I put the panelists together. And we have Chrissy DeClerc Salagi who is on the Star Trek podcast of Infinite Diversity with some friends of ours. And so I wanted a fan, including myself, on the panel. But we also have authors on the panel. John Jackson Miller is going to be on the panel, including Mike Johnson, who has written many Star Trek comics and the recent No Man's Land Star Trek Picard audio drama. And... Kirsten Beyer was going to join us, but I heard from her just the other night saying that she's no longer coming to the convention, so she will not be on the panel. But uh, at least you have the four of us there for now, unless somebody else has to bail for whatever reason. But we will definitely move forward with the panel. And uh, who knows, maybe I'll get invite somebody else if I know that's going to join us. But it's 45 minutes of a lot of fun at 145 on Friday. So if you're going to Star Trek Mission Chicago, come by, see us, and look in your app or website for details, and uh, we'll see you there. That's awesome. I really wish I could be there as well. That's that's going to be amazing. I am going to another convention in April, though, the Calgary Expo uh, here in Alberta, where William Shatner will also be appearing, interestingly enough. I just went over to their celebrity page, so 
Uh, there's a whole bunch of people from all kinds of different franchises appearing from Star Trek, William Shatner, Brent Spiner, and John Delancey. So that's kind of cool. You know, I might get a signed picture of him from Picard in his kind of silver fox look. That would be mm, cool. That's cool. Yeah. And, but I'm, you know, a bit of a betrayal here. I'm actually really mostly interested in seeing Ming-Na Wen, who will also be there. So, uh, you know, big uh, Book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian fan as well. And uh, yeah, I have this art print of her that I really want signed. And I think that's going to be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, and I'm, you know, if you guys ever want to meet us at these conventions, just tweet at us or email us. You can email positively track at gmail.com and just ask, you know, I mean, cause I love to meet people, especially who listen to the show here. Cause you hear me talk. I never get to hear you talk. Right. And absolutely you're yelling at screaming at me on the show about something. I'm sure at some point. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Always happy to meet people uh, who know us from positively Trek or Kurtrats or whatever. Right. You know, so yeah. Uh, if you're going to be at any of these conventions, anybody in the Calgary area going to be at the Calgary expo, I'd love to meet you. So yeah. Reach out to us. Yes. Twitter at positively Trek as well. There you go. So, well, let's get on to talking about these episodes of Discovery and Picard. We'll be right back. Vito, Kahim. Some days I don't even know how to wake up. Love always ends in grief, but we can't let the pain do this to us. He'd have done what you're doing right now. He'd have stopped me. Yeah, I know. Why is he here to stop me? Star Trek Discovery, episode 13, the season finale of season four, and the episode is called Coming Home. And I would have to say that, uh, yeah, I think that's a good title for this episode. Um, make me, it made me wonder a little bit, too, because after I watched the episode, I'm like, isn't that kind of like a spoiler? Well, I mean, really? I don't I don't think it's much of a spoiler. I think we knew the broad strokes of of what would happen and Discovery would eventually go home. I don't I don't think that's much of a spoiler. Well, I I didn't think about it till a little later because I was kind of suspecting that they might not go home, that they may just stay out there you know, in this other galaxy and that's the fifth season is maybe trying to get home. And then when I was watching this again last night with my wife, who was seeing it for the first time, when there was that whole scene where they're like, yeah, it's going to take us decades to get home. My wife went, no, we already got that in Voyager. I don't want to do that again. And I <laughs> thought, yeah, she doesn't know that they're actually going to make it back. And I thought, well, the title is coming home. <laughs> so <laughs> Well, you're you're also looking at the title a little bit singularly, right? Because it could mean multiple things. And in fact, my first thought seeing the title was thinking about Tarka, right? Because the universe he's trying to get to, he's referred to as home throughout the season. So I, I kind of thought, and I mean, thematically, it does have to do with what Discovery is doing, but also with what Tarka is doing, right? He's trying to go home. He's trying to get to this place that he calls home. So, you know, there are, there are, are multiple meanings. We also get that earth comes home to the Federation 
by the end of the episode. We also get that the the Starfleet rescue teams are going to Earth to rescue people there. Earth, you could say, is the home of the Federation, right? So it's it's Starfleet coming back home to rescue their parents, basically. So there's definitely multiple meanings throughout, and, and I think it resonates throughout the episode. I love that you brought up the Tarka thing, because that really does play off of Tarka trying to get home. He's coming home, right? I, I love mm-hmm. that. You, I didn't even think about that. I love how you picked up on that, which, of course, we'll talk more about Tarka here in a moment. But, Dan, I can't help but say that when this episode started, I thought of you immediately because Aww. there was Tilly. <laughs> and I thought, Dan's yes. going to be so happy about this. Yes, I was very happy. And I mean, I knew they, I, I figured they weren't lying, that she would be there by the end of the, the season. But, you know, it just, it took to the very last episode. But yeah, I was thrilled to see Tilly. I love seeing her in this position, responsible for the lives of these young people. And I love that they brought back the cadets, too, from that episode. It was great to see them. Yeah, it wasn't all the cadets. I think it was just two of them from that episode. Just the two right? of them, yeah. Yeah. I wish they all were there, though. I was kind of hoping for that. I was kind of imagining the other two were in the background somewhere or doing something very vital to the the efforts, just off screen somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Now, that ship that they were in was quite interesting. And yeah, this is the one thing I do like about watching it before my wife does, because I like to then watch her reaction when something's coming up. And when that ship was was being shown, she's like, what is that? And she just had this really weird look on her face. She's like, what kind of ship is that? And that was, it reminded me of the jellyfish ship from Star Trek 09 in a way, you know, and it was, I loved seeing the new look of these ships. It's like, they feel very odd to me because they don't Mm -hmm. look quite like what we're used to, but of course it's the 32nd century, right? So they're supposed to look a little different and it's, it's still something I'm still getting used to. Well, I love that they can just fly Starfleet headquarters to earth and right. coordinate the evacuation that's pretty cool and not only that it's like you know deck 20 is full okay <laughs> deck 20 just leaves and <laughs> that's awesome i love that it was it was so wild i thought that was really cool i know when that deck came out and just flew away i thought was well, the rest just going to compress down i was waiting for it to fill the space or whatever it's like and then later on there was another scene where they say like a deck is full okay go ahead and let that one go you know it's it, i love that they're making it different because it's in the future of star trek's future and so it's got to be a little different Mm-hmm. So then we go back to the book ship and we've got Reno and book. They're still behind the force field. They can't get out. Tark is doing his thing to destroy the DMA, which is going to destroy so much other things and everybody's lives and all this danger that's happening and stuff. And book needs to stop him. And then there's grudges collar that makes a little <laughs> grudge cat doorway, which I thought was hilarious. That was great. I mean, a little convenient, but I liked it. I thought that was when he first started fiddling with it. I was like, is that Grudge's collar from earlier? Like, I I wasn't sure, but it's like, is that what that was? And yeah, sure enough. And I love that. Yeah, it makes just a little kitty door in the uh, in the force field. That was great. <laughs> right before that happened, too, I was like, oh, is it just going to make a little cat door? And went, 
I was like, yes. <laughs> I wanted to see them crawl through it. That's yeah, what I me really too. To <laughs> the the look that Reno gives book was just about all that I wanted, but I would have also loved just to see them trying to wiggle through it. I know. I was really hoping for a scene where Reno is trying to get through it and it's taking a while and book's like, hurry up, hurry up. And her looking up at him like, Really? Like, why don't you come down here and do this faster? I'd like to see you do this. <laughs> <laughs> Something a little snarky like that. And then General Nindoye confesses that she is the one who was communicating with Book's ship and uh, released the plasma stuff that allowed the ship to go towards the center of the DMA and or the power source of the DMA and such. But I, this character... I find quite interesting. I I like and don't like this character because I don't like what she's doing, but I get it. I said that on the last episode. You know, you're mm-hmm. in dire need. Your planet's about to just get destroyed. You're seeing what Burnham and everybody's trying to do by communicate with Species 10C, but at the same time, it's like, look, what if this doesn't work and we're spending all this time and if it doesn't work, we don't have any time left to do the alternate thing. So I can understand her desperation because yeah, she's, she's a general, right? She's going to call an order and I can't blame her for what she's trying to do or what she did. But I love the fact then when Burnham and the president are questioning who did this, she confesses. She says, yeah, Mm -hmm. I did this. I had to do it and I'm admitting to it, whatever. And I applaud her for doing that. How do you feel about her? Yeah, I'm I'm in in broad strokes in agreement with you on that. You know, I I don't agree with what she did. I I think it was wrong-headed and all of that, but at the same time she was manipulated and deceived, right? She thought that was book that she was talking to. She didn't realize what was going on on the ship. At the same time, I'm on record last week saying like she was seeing the progress that was getting made and the fact that what she did could very quickly and almost nearly did undo all of that progress, I think was grossly irresponsible. And I do admire her for stepping up and telling the truth and not trying to back away from responsibility for what she did. So yeah, definitely a bit of mixed feelings on that for sure. Yeah. Mixed feelings. That's what it is. Because even as the episode's going on, I'm thinking we're only in this place because of her now, like all this stuff that's going on, like, especially when the president says to her, you know, we had them, they they were going to shut them down. Like we were that close. We were there, mm-hmm. you know, and it's always like this knife that just goes in her heart like eh, it's because of you that we're all messed up right now. Yeah. Well, let, let's be fair. It's because of Tarka. Well, you know, yes. she was she was a pawn of Tarka. Definitely a lot of responsibility, but it's not squarely on her shoulders. That's true. But she did kind of team up with him and book. So mm-hmm. but anyway, uh. Then we also have this scene later where we see Tarina and she reaches out telepathically to species 10C. And I started to worry there because here we go, Dan, back to the whole thing where there's a couple that's falling in love with each other. And I think that one of them is going to die. And I thought something's going to happen to Tarina. (laughs) I know. I know. This is one of many moments in this episode where I, I thought, yeah, well, we'll get to the other ones. But yeah, I thought there was definitely a possibility that we might lose Tarina here. Uh, I would have been very upset if that was the case, 
But the scene was really interesting. I love when she reaches out and the entire field around them just changes color immediately. Like they immediately react. I was like, whoa, that is cool. Uh, that was a really interesting scene for sure. It made me also think of the scene of Spock with V'ger trying mm-hmm. to meld, you know? It also made me wonder why didn't they try something like this earlier? But it was because it's so dangerous too. Yeah. You know? Like it's pretty obvious that a, it didn't really work all right. that well. Like it, it, you know, and, and it was very dangerous and, and almost killed her. Yeah. So no, this was a last minute desperation attempt. That was definitely not why you, you would definitely not try that to begin with. That would be a very bad idea. Yeah, no, but she survived and all's good. And so happy for her for that. So, cause then the discovery then has to try to get out of the orb. And of course they don't have the mycelial network to use to get, but you know, Stamets and Adira, they all come up with this idea that, well, you know, if they're, they're still and the energy that going into by accessing the spore drive, it creates enough energy that could help give them enough energy to propel themselves away from the orb, something like that. Right. Am I at least close on that? Uh, to, to destroy the orb, to, to break it open like they did with the plasma. Yeah. yeah. Which then they get away. And the interesting thing is that Tennessee didn't try to recapture them. Like mm-hmm. they saw that as a sign of hope that, well, you know what? Maybe they are still open to talking to us. Yeah. I thought that was interesting that, yeah, the discovery is free now. And the 10 C are basically like, let's see what they do. Like that's kind of the feeling I got was they were kind of like, okay, this is weird because we also, we find out that they're one, that they're kind of a collective, right? They don't understand initially that each person is different. So what Book and Tarka are doing, or what Tarka's doing, I should say, with Book's ship and the Discovery, they don't see them as separate. They see them as one thing. So they're kind of like, well, you're doing this, but but you're doing this, what's going on? And then this is where I think they're starting to kind of understand a little bit that like, okay, uh, let's, uh, let's see what happens now. <laughs> yeah, because that whole thing of them then understanding that th- this crew, these humans and these other races on the ship they're individuals and like you said they're one and and i you know it was questioned like you know like the borg no not like the borg this is different you know it's the borg's like one hive mind this isn't quite the same but they're also they're like in sync where we're more individual and but i was glad that 10c seemed to understand that fairly quickly mm-hmm. and i also think it yeah it gave discovery the chance to also prove to 10c that book and Tarka aren't with them if they go and stop them. Right. So now they're going to go and try to go back and try to stop them. And it also proves to 10 C that they're not all the one mind, right. They all do individual things. Yeah, for sure. I would have loved to have seen what they were thinking at this moment though. Like, just like, what is going on? What are these little creatures doing? It's very strange. But yeah, so we do get Discovery chasing down Book's ship. And because of Ndoye's tactical experience, they kind of bring her back into the circle, which I thought that was interesting. And and I like that foreshadowing earlier on where she said, you know, I, I'm still willing to help and, and 
give you my experience and stuff. At that moment, when she said that back then, I was kind of rolling my eyes like, no, 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 no. You're locked up. Get out of here. <laughs> but then but then later on, when the president's like, you know, and has really great tactical experience. I was like, oh, man. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, the thing I also liked about that scene is Detmer stood up to be yes. the most experienced pilot. And remember, a few episodes, I thought, oh, they're going to kill off Detmer. <laughs> and then I- this, again, season finale. I This was another moment where I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, this is it. I just was expecting it earlier. It's going to happen now. And then Nadoy is like, I'll go. I was like, oh, okay, they're going to kill her off instead, which and they didn't. the look that Awoshikun gave Detmer, too, when she stood up and volunteered, my heart broke at that moment, too. That just, like, you can't do that. You can't leave me. Like, no. And, oh, that was, that was brutal. I, it, I really honestly thought Kayla was going to go on this mission. Yeah, isn't it amazing that look of don't go? is so easy to understand without a single line. Cause you could just yeah. hear it in her face. You're not going to do this. Are you don't go, don't do this. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And then she would have to be somewhat responsible for being Detmer back, you know, like, and you're going to put this on me, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. So yeah, let's talk about that. So, uh, Nadoy takes the ship to, crash into head-on collision with book ship and i'm glad in a lot of ways they established right away they beamed her off in time and didn't leave that as the mystery of like did she survive did she die or i mean they immediately said okay we beamed her back she's back safely and burns like great make sure you know beam her into sick bay so it's like okay she survived but i have to say that scene with book and tarka was very crushing mm-hmm I didn't think about it the first time I watched it, but the second time I watched it, as Tarka is crying his eyes out of having to try to get home and how important this is. And in the earlier conversation where Tarka's trying to convince Book that all his loved ones, they exist in the other universe, and Reno's like, they're not the same. You know, even my wife is in the other universe, and it's that, but that's not my wife. You know, they're different people. And Book's like, yeah, they're they're not the same. And then mm-hmm. when he's on the floor with Tarka and telling him, you don't even know if your friend is there. We don't even know if he made it. And Tarka's crying. And the thing, this is the thing I noticed the second time it didn't the first time. The way Book holds him is the same way that Tarka held his friend, was it Or, what is it? Oros. Oros. Held Oros like that. Because remember, Oros is like, why did you do that? You know, why did you hold me and like that? And here's Book mm-hmm. doing the same to Tarka. I love that scene. That scene was incredible. And what happened with Tarka was what I wanted to happen. Like, I didn't want him to just die to pay for everything that happened. He realizes the weight of what he's done. And he realizes that Oros would be doing exactly what Book is doing now, trying to stop him. And I'm not necessarily, I I don't have a lot of warm feelings for Tarka. I have some sympathy for him, but he's caused so much suffering and put so many people in danger that, you know, I'm, I'm not very totally sympathetic to him. But that moment where, you know, Book says, what would Oros be doing right now? And Tarka says, he would be trying to stop me. And then he breaks down. Why isn't he here to stop me? 
was just like, oh man, that was a gut punch. And I felt that. And wow. Uh, this actor, first of all, I've sung his praises already this season, but for a character that I really do not like, man, does he ever do a good job of making me not like the character. But also, what an amazing job in this final scene of giving him some real pathos and real stuff to chew on. Like, great, great acting here. And I think that's what it is that I really like about the character is the portrayal the Mm -hmm. performance of the actor who plays him. I think he's done a fantastic job with it. And uh, yeah, I'm going to miss the character in a sense, but then again, I'm not, (laughs) I'm done with his shenanigans, (laughs) but let me ask you something because again, you know, I know how you felt about the character and before the ship explodes, he's holding the transportation device that he has that could help propel him into this other universe if he gets enough power and he even mentions like, you know, he, he may die. It may work. It still may work. These, you know, when the, before the ship explodes, it could bring enough power that propels him to the other universe. Are you hoping that he maybe made it? Maybe. I mean, I, I like that they leave it completely open-ended. I don't think we'll ever know. I don't think there's any revisiting this in the future, but uh, yeah, I kind of, kind of hope he made it, but I also feel like, you know, if he made it and Oros knows everything that he did, he might not find the peace there that he was looking for. He might realize that what he did to get there was not worth it. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like that absolution he's looking for or that that peace he's looking for, if he survived after having done all this, I don't think he's going to find that peace. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I When it happened, I thought, I kind of hope he made it. And I don't know why. Because in other ways, he doesn't deserve it for everything he's done. But to your point, even if he does make it, yeah, what does Oros think? Yeah, what Will Tarka regret how he did it? You know, like, is he really going to be at peace? Because he's got, you know, a lot of blood on his hands mm-hmm. to get there. And just the fact to think that he could be in that universe and perfectly at peace and perfectly happy, yet still have the blood on his hands and that doesn't bother him, makes me wish then he didn't make it. <laughs> you know? So, I don't know. One day we make it a, might get a comic or a novel. You never know. <laughs> that could say. I'll, I'll talk to John Jackson Miller about doing one. <laughs> <laughs> My guess is we'll never know. Yes. No, I, I, I agree. I don't think we'll ever know. And I think it's better that way. Mm-hmm. So let's jump back just a little. And it's throughout the whole episode, but we have the whole scene with Admiral Vance and Tilly. And I've enjoyed this. I was actually surprised how much Tilly we got in this episode. I really thought that for whatever reason she was gone for a whole season, she'd come back in the last episode and be in a scene or two. But we got quite a bit of Tilly in this episode. And her working with Vance and deciding to stay behind and help out. And I I thought, you know, it just really shows how much this character has come along from being this awkward cadet to serving right there side by side, shoulder to shoulder with the C&C of Starfleet. Yeah, I I really loved Tilly in this. I loved her whole talking about regrets in life and that sort of thing. And that so many people don't get to find their place. And she feels like she really did and all this amazing stuff that she's gotten to do that, 
you know, she could be at peace, which is tragic because she'd be so young and stuff. But at the same time, like she said, people can live for a long time and never find that peace that she's found. So I, I love that commentary on her character, knowing, you know, where we saw her in season one as this cadet who really wanted to be a captain and that whole journey to where she is now. Uh, that was that was great. I kind of wish we saw a little bit more of her sprinkled throughout in this role a little bit up until now. But at the same time, what we got was so great and that we get so much of her in this finale was wonderful. And those scenes with Vance of them just sharing a drink, thinking they're going to die. That was wonderful. I thought that was great. And Vance in these scenes as well. I'm just really digging the vibe he's giving off as this, you know, as this seasoned veteran who's seen a lot, but, you know, he's going to go down with the, with the ship and, and give his life in the service of Starfleet. I'm thinking back to all the times in season three when we were talking about those episodes and we were like, is this guy a good guy? Is this a bad guy? Is there going to be something? And he's just, he's such a good guy. Like that's, there's not a, not a whiff of bad admiral about him. Like he's just the best Starfleet admiral. <laughs> and I like how he is, he has this bond with Tilly through this experience that even when she would say something, he'd give a smile or a little laugh. Like he was enjoying his time with her. You can tell he has a respect for her, especially after what she's doing here. And like you said, sharing the drink with him, it's like they were just two buddies hanging out there at the end, you know, like, Hey, we did it. Woo, this is fun. And yeah. thinking, well, yeah, they've also had some drinks in them too. So that helps a little, but just seeing the two of them together like that was really special. Yeah, I feel like after this, she's going to like hold the record for making lieutenant commander <laughs> for the quickest because like she deserves a promotion, obviously, after this performance here. <laughs> and then, okay, am I correct in assuming this? The USS Mitchell is named after Kenneth Mitchell, the actor who played the Klingons and stuff in uh, Discovery. Oh, that makes sense. I never thought of that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because I remember the actor saying that they're going to work him into season four in a special way. He said that like last year. Oh, okay. And I kept waiting for him. That makes sense. That makes sense. Because I was kind of wondering, I was thinking it wouldn't be Gary Mitchell like that didn't end well i thought that too yeah and then i then i kind of forgot and i didn't think more about it but that absolutely makes sense yeah for sure that didn't occur to me until after i watched it the second time because i was like is it named after gary mitchell that's just kind of weird and then i thought oh no i bet it's kenneth mitchell that's it you know it's got that's be. awesome so anyway i just wanted to throw that out there because i had thought of that and then um then we've got the crew of course beaming down to this planet, to the surface where they're going to communicate with 10C. And there's that whole conversation of describing themselves as individuals and they're making their speeches as Saru's typing things in. So, I mean, I guess the thing is that scene kind of played out the way I expected it to that 10C is going to understand and stop the DMA. But the other thing I expected was earlier in the episode before Tarka's ships blows up, they're trying to beam book back to discovery and it's too late and book is gone. And I thought, 
no, I bet Tennessee grabbed him and has him and we'll bring him back. And sure enough, that's what happened. Did you think the same thing? I hoped that was the possibility, but at the time I actually did think that maybe he was gone. But I was so, it was so good to see. I don't even care. Like, I don't even care about the death fake out. I'm so glad that book's not gone. <laughs> yeah. Now, let me ask you this because he makes his speech to 10C that gets them to stop. Because they've said, oh, we'll be more careful. We won't go into any planets or anything that's inhabitable. He's like, no, that's not good enough. You know, it still brings destruction, still brings danger, what, all these things and stuff. But, the thing about it that was bothering me through the whole scene is he wasn't, he didn't have his cuts on his face like he did earlier. Did the transporter, did the 10 C like heal his face? Cause if you look at the scenes before that, he's bleeding. He's got cuts all over his face. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't notice that at all. Didn't, I didn't notice that, but uh, I did really, I, I really liked book speech to the 10 C. And of course, I mean, we're Star Trek fans, right? We're drawing all the obvious parallels. I'm thinking in this scene of, you know, barges full of, of garbage and quote unquote recycling that show up in the ports in Southeast Asia. That's the remnants of our North American and Western societies. They get all our trash and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of what I was thinking about through this whole scene and book speaking up for the little people who are paying for all of this destruction that the the higher levels that these these more advanced whatevers are are piling on them i i was i loved that allegory here i thought that was incredible yeah i did too as i'm watching why doesn't he have scars on his anyway <laughs> But no, I, I enjoyed that too. And I also liked how he pointed out to them that, you know, you can't hide behind a wall. It won't keep you safe. You know, it's like the danger's still there, you know, and you're just killing lives, you know, and for something that's not really going to keep you safe. And that we're one big galaxy. We're one big universe. You know, we're one, we're all one, you know, which is funny mm -hmm. because the 10C do think of themselves as one and not as individuals. And we all have a place in this. But yeah, it's very much Star Trek, very much a Star Trek speech. And I mean, I just also felt for Burnham just seeing Book appear and just, she's like, is it you? Are you real? You know, <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know if this is real or not. I can imagine her thinking that. It was just great. In the moment, I had, like, I mean, I didn't think, obviously, this was happening, but I was like, how cruel would that be if, like, because Burnham's saying, like, there was one of them, and he was my one, and blah, 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 and, like, book appears, and then the 10 seer like, is this what he looked like? Our holographic recreation of him is, was this him? Huh? Cool. <laughs> like, oh, how cruel would that be? Yeah. But obviously that's not happening. <laughs> or if that's not him, is it him? And they show Tarka and she's like, no, it's definitely not him. <laughs> but then of course everything works out and they use the last time of a wormhole to take, you know, that they use for the DMA. They're going to use that wormhole to send them back home which is great that they don't have to spend decades getting back, which <laughs> I know my wife was relieved too that we weren't going to get stuck there. So we go back home and there's Tilly and they have this little reunion and everybody's hugging and jumping around. And you just can, to me, it just feels so real 
because it's probably just that's how this cast just feels together like all the time right <laughs> yeah that was great that that scene felt very real to me as well i just yeah they're they're all there's so much fun when they're happy and things are going well i love it <laughs> and speaking of happy saru and tarina actually decide that you know it's it's okay to take the chance and they hold hands and were you happy to see them get together yeah and of course at that same spot where they they watched the sunrise over navarre last season that was a nice kind of bringing it full circle when people first said "Ooh, those two are kind of cute together that would be kind of neat they're back there again and and that's where they decide yep we're we're they they changed their Facebook status to in a relationship, so good for them. <laughs> yes. And speaking of where things started, President Relic and Berm are standing in a place where things started with them, where President Relic questioned if Burnham's ready for command and that sort of thing earlier in the episode, and she says, "You're you're now ready. You 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 would be ready to command Voyager." And Burnham's like, "Yeah, that's great, but." I don't want Voyager. I'm staying yeah. right here. <laughs> she gives the same answer she gave in the first episode when, yep. when the president said, you're not ready. She says, I wouldn't take it anyway. And she says, no, I'm still not going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. And then, of course, Book. I, You know, after this whole thing happened, I wasn't even thinking how Book is going to have to pay the price for all this, you know? And it's like, what is going to happen with Book? And then, so he's assigned to help families that are displaced by the DMA. So he's going to be separated from Burnham, which I like that they did that because it also leaves the door open for them to get together later in the next season or something that he's just not locked away and she's never going to see him again. Mm -hmm. I, I like this. I, I've seen people online saying like, oh, he didn't get, he wasn't punished enough kind of thing. I, I disagree. I think this is... That makes sense. He's contributing back to society. He's basically assigned community service for what he did. I think that makes sense. You know, I, some people want their pound of flesh and they want to see people punished. And I don't know. I feel like this is more reasonable and more fitting for what he did. I do too. And also, you know, he was instrumental in getting rid of the DMA by talking to Species 10C. And they know that he was being played by Tarka, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe in the beginning he was, you know, doing his own thing and trying to, you know... But but I think they know that Tarka is really behind pushing Book to this and conning him into certain things and lying to him without realizing what was going on. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I can understand how people think the punishment should be more, but... We, we don't need him punished that much for this series to bring him back. <laughs> you know, we gotta yeah. leave it open. So, but then it ends with the president of United Earth coming to visit the Discovery crew. And the shuttle doors open and there's the president, who I don't think we ever got a name for the president. But I know the actress's name is Stacey Abrams. Because here in my home state of Georgia, she has run for governor and she's an activist and she's a huge Star Trek fan. And I was surprised, amused, and a little annoyed to see her there. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, this this was someone that uh, I'm very much not in, in the U.S. And uh, I've heard the names because I listen to a lot of political podcasts and that kind of thing, but I don't think I'd ever seen Stacey Abrams to know what she looks like or anything. So I, 
I got the impression watching this. I was like, I don't think she's a professional actor. And I, and that, I don't mean that to sound cruel. I just, you know, there's, there's a quality to people that how, you know, I was just like, hmm, I, I, I feel like this person doesn't have as much acting experience. So I did look up who it was and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool because I've heard her on the official Star Trek podcast, for example, the pod directive, she was a guest on there. And I know, yeah, she's a huge Star Trek fan. And as far as I know, like her politics kind of align with what the the Star Trek universe kind of espouses. So I thought that was kind of cool. I was like, oh, that's neat. You know, I, I would if I was a famous Star Trek fan, I would be so thrilled to be able to be on Star Trek. So oh, that's so cool. Absolutely. A hundred percent. That's why I was thrilled for her to be there, because I know she really enjoyed being there. Of course. The only thing was, and Dan and I talked before the show about it. The only thing that annoys me is I just don't like bringing it's not. Yes, politics are in Star Trek. I get it. But I don't want to bring real world politicians into a Star Trek episode because I just know that's going to disrupt fandom and get people here. And I was like, oh, I don't want to let's not do all that. And because I live in Georgia, I do hear a lot about Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp and the feuds that gone on with them and the parties and stuff. And Star Trek's, you know, my escapism. So when I see the real world come into it, what I see on the news all the time, it just kind of goes, uh, like, oh, now I'm going to have to hear about this. Because I've told some people about it and, you know, I get different reactions from people and I, I just don't like that. But I did enjoy seeing her there. And especially the second time. It's just, I'm just, I don't know. I love the message it shows because here is today's, a powerful black woman here in America that is fighting the cause for what she's trying to do and fighting against the system. And we portraying her. Yeah. She's the president of United earth, but we're just showing that, you know, at this point in the world of earth, I'm looking at the shuttle bay and I see three powerful black women, women standing there. And then when we get a close up of earth later, we're seeing Africa. And I love mm -hmm. the message that sent too. you know, it's just like, hey, black women, black people, Africa, you know, you're just as much important as anybody else. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it was, it was a good message and, and very fitting, I think, in, in what Star Trek and Star Trek Discovery has kind of represented. So, yeah, it was I was glad to see that, too, regardless of, like you say, even who the person is who's in that role, the fact that the president of Earth is a black woman. I thought that was terrific. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So congratulations, Stacy, and uh, hope to meet you someday. So jealous! <laughs> I've already planned that if I ever run into her somewhere, I'm going to call her Madam President. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I know she'll get that. At least I hope she'll go, oh, you must watch Star Trek. And I'm like, oh, heck yeah, I do. <laughs> so, yeah. So final thoughts. Final thoughts. Honestly, I'm going to say it right here. This was my favorite season finale of Star Trek Discovery. Every season finale of Star Trek Discovery has at least something about it that kind of made me go, eh, I don't know. Not, not in a horrible way or anything like that. But, you know, I had pacing issues with the season one finale, season two finale. I still the the like hundreds of thousands of little shuttlecraft flying around and stuff was just a little over the top. Season three, the whole resolution to the burn thing felt in some ways a little bit underwhelming. 
This one was the perfect season finale. It wrapped up everything, I think, in a really satisfactory way. I really liked the pacing of it, which I'm actually surprised with regards to season finales for Discovery. That's been my biggest complaint. But this one, I felt, was just the perfect wrap-up and tied up all the loose ends in a way that really made sense to me. And I mean, some parts of the episode, there's nothing that wasn't completely out of left field or, or unpredictable, but at the same time, I really enjoyed every minute of it. So yeah, this this was the perfect ending to the season. So I can't give it any less than five out of five ambiguous beam outs where you're not sure if the person survived or not. Nice. I hadn't thought about if I thought this is my favorite finale of Discovery, but as you're describing each finale, I was agreeing with you 100%. I think I do like season two's finale. It does seem a bit overboard, but I I just remember liking you know a lot of the action that was going on and being on the bridge of the Enterprise and Discovery going to the future. There's a lot of stuff in there that I you know, eye candy and fan candy, I guess you could say that I enjoyed about that one. But this one does seem to be well put together. This one does seem that it did a good job of wrapping things up. It didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel like they had to try to get to a quick resolution, which I was afraid of. The pacing was just right. I feel like Mm -hmm. they got the pacing right through these last few episodes to come to this conclusion. And you know, great character moments and stuff. I, I guess the one, if I had to criticize the episode, I would just say that the whole resolution to everything is, I guess, kind of expected. Like, you know, it all came to a conclusion that we would expect or, or want to have happen. That there was nothing that surprised me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, but that, um, that's just me trying to come up with something I would nitpick on. But that's that's so minor. So I would give this five out of five cuts on Book's face. Nice. That went away after a while. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about Star Trek Picard, Assimilation, and we'll do that right after this. Thank you so much to our Patreon supporters for helping us to bring you this episode of Positively Trek. We truly could not do it without your support. To join the ranks of our Patreon supporters, such as Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, Jim Stoffel, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, and John Blaber, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can join at any level to receive perks such as early access to episodes and exclusive bonus content. And at higher levels, there are shoutouts and associations producer credits, and much more. Thank you once again for your support of Positively Trek. And now, let's get back to the show. They had this amazing simulator there, so one day I sneak out. I was about eight. I'm having the time of my life until alarms go off. I thought I broke this damn thing. Turns out I had. I broke the highest score of any cadet in history. So I climb out, and admirals and captains are there, jaws on the floor, seeing this eight-year-old kid. And my mom, <laughs> she's looking at me, like, pretending to be angry, but I knew she was proud. And <laughs> she said, ah! Star Trek Picard, episode three of season two, Assimilation. And this picks up, of course, right after the events that we saw in episode two. And the crew ha- is on the La Serena, 
and the magistrate beams up with two security officers. He shoots Elnor and is now in this episode questioning who they are because he's kind of figured out that his wife, who is Annika or Seven of Nine, whatever you want to call her, but she's Annika in this, the president is not who she seems to be. Something is off and he starts questioning her. And so that then breaks out into a fight, which I'm so glad that that didn't continue on for a long period of time because I just wanted this guy gone. Cause I wanted to see them get to the 21st century. Yeah, this was, I I'm, I'm glad they still had this to deal with though. And I love that seven makes one last attempt, right? She's like, how dare you interfere with this top secret, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he allows for the possibility that may be the case, but he questions her basically to see like, I don't think you're really my Annika. So, you know, he questions her and she obviously has no idea what he's talking about. So yeah, they officially know this is not the real president at this point. Yeah. And, you know, just seeing Rafi all emotional about Elnor and wanting to help oh. Elnor. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Of course, then, you know, what happens later, it gets even more so, but, uh, yeah, and, and then just seeing the Borg Queen there as she then gets out of her encasing and is crawling towards Girardi. And you hear that music from First Contact. Yes, that was amazing. I was like, when that was happening, I was like, oh, I wish that Jonathan Frakes was actually directing this since he directed First Contact, you know? Well, do you know who directed this episode? Uh, maybe somebody back from the future or some kind. Yeah, <laughs> Leah Thompson. How crazy is that? From Back to the Future, of course. Yes. Uh, the Marty's mother in Back to the Future. So cool. Uh, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I saw her name as director and I was like, is that the same one, Leah Thompson? I looked, I'm like, oh yeah, it is. And I mean, she's done a lot more than Back to the Future, but uh, oh, of course, she's really yeah. well known for that, for sure. A lot of movies in the 80s and I remember her having a sitcom for a while and such. And I did hear that she had, she was directing uh, certain things. So yeah. Um, maybe she's even directed a Star Trek episode before. Has she? I can't recall. No, she hasn't. Okay. But there, there was, I, I think they, they announced her as a director like quite a while ago and I'd kind of forgotten oh, until this it. episode came around and I was like, Oh yeah, that's so awesome. And it's the one where they actually travel through time. So I'm like, ah, oh, she's got some, uh, firsthand experience there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I bet somebody already on YouTube has played the Huey Lewis music of them traveling back in time, going back in time. <laughs> oh yeah. The, the scene where they're walking around instead of the California dreaming, which that was really cool. Yeah. They just play uh yeah. Huey Lewis in the news over that instead. I love it. That's, that's what they should have done. <laughs> oh, that would have been great, but whatever. You know, I will say though, the slingshot effect, I was, I was curious to see how they would handle that to see if it would mirror what they did in Star Trek four. Like, would they wake up on the bridge? And we didn't really see that. Like they, they were passed out or anything, you know? Yeah. I kind of made a little joke while we were watching it. Like after they go and it's kind of like going like blurry and stuff. I was like, Admiral. There'd be whales here. I should never have. I started to do the voices. <laughs> That's great. 
Well, okay. So let me ask you this real quick too. So, you know, after they did the slingshot effect, they, they get to the year 2024, they're approaching earth and then they need to crash land because they don't really have full control of the ship because the queen had, you know, some partial control, but the queen's kind of passed out or whatever it is. And Rios can operate some of it, but it's going to be a rough landing and they can't land in a big populated area like Los Angeles. And then Picard says, Oh, I know, you know, and he starts calculating his coordinates of where to land. They're like, where are you taking us? And he's like, home. Where was, did they crash in France? I'm confused by that. That's my assumption. And we know, of course, Picard knows his family history and stuff. So like he would know who's there and where would be a safe place to crash. Maybe. I don't know. They, yeah, they were kind of unclear on that. Uh, it also makes sense that like, it's, it's the middle of the night wherever they crash. So it makes sense. They'd be in Europe on pretty much the other side of the world from LA, which is in the middle of the daytime when they beam there. So yeah, that was my assumption that it was like the the Picard estate in France and some place he knew was uninhabited or something. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out more about that next week. But it, yeah, it seemed a little mysterious. It did. And because he said home, and that's what I thought. Oh, he must have crashed like in his vineyards of his, you know, ancestors or whatever. And then I thought, after they crash, I was like, oh, this is going to be really interesting. He's probably going to meet his ancestors. They're, you know, they're probably going to wake up hearing this or something. And I thought they'll come to the ship and there'll be these scenes of him trying to explain to his ancestors what's going on. And me, I was like, oh, this is going to be so cool. And we didn't even go there. So, yeah, maybe we will in another episode. But if they don't, I think that would be a missed opportunity because I think it'd be fun to see him talking to his ancestors. My thought, and this was like a deep cut reference initially i was like oh you know if picard was smart and thinking i thought for a second they might go this deep and crash on gravette island which is an undiscovered unknown island that is uninhabited because that's where he directed the escape pods from the enterprise e to land in first contact and they were going to be able to stay there and stay out of history's way kind of thing so i was like oh that would be cool but unfortunately well i mean as far as we know that's not where they are and it doesn't make sense that he would call that home but you know for a second i was like oh if i were picard i know exactly where to crash but i guess not (laughs) that's a good one i like that i wish they would have gone to the island that's that's a good call i love that see that's why i like talking to you man you got it (laughs) you're deep into this stuff i didn't even think of that oh wow um so okay next thing also is elnor because (laughs) my gosh like the poor guy well first of all i was thinking you know he dies but it's like i'm like so we're not gonna get any more elnor this season i'm like I'm not even sure if we're going to get Soji this season. <laughs> like we're like we're we're reducing the cast, but you know, Rafi is just doing whatever she can to get him to hold on. And when she reads that emblem and turns around and he's gone, that that got me right there. Okay, I'm going to do just a little tiny bit of a rant here. This is positively Trek. I'm trying to be positive, <laughs> but. I'm going to I'm going to say like I was mad 
I was angry when Elnor died. And I was flashing back to season one. My lowest point of season one of Picard was when they killed Hugh because I felt that it was unnecessary and I really liked Hugh and I did not want him to die. And I was like, okay, they used up 70% of my goodwill when they killed Hugh and Elnor has just blown right past that. So it took me a few minutes. I got over it, but I was angry at that moment. Now we get a little bit later that like, and, and, and if you start to think it through, it's like, okay, I think they'll be able to get Elnor back. And they're not a hundred percent sure, but Rafi says she's going to choose to believe that if they fix the timeline, they'll get Elnor back. And that's what I'm choosing to believe too, because that was, I was angry. (laughs) Nikki was watching with me and she can tell you how angry I was that Elnor died here. And if you think it through, it makes sense because everyone died in the explosion when the stargazer exploded in the original timeline and Q pulled them out and whatever, you know? So if they fix the timeline, they'll be back to that timeline where Elnor is very much alive. So I'm like, okay, all right. If they do this right, if they fix it, Elnor's going to be alive. I'm just going to cling to that. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't have that reaction at all. I, Really, I just felt for Raffi at the in the moment because I just assumed that we will get Elnor. Because uh, to me, it's like, yeah, if they fix the timeline and it reverts back, either they're blowing up on the ship like they originally did, and they're all dead anyway, or they're going to go back right before that or something and prevent whatever. But I'm, yeah, I just expect Elnor's coming back. Um, but again, maybe not. I mean, it's it's possible, but I just assume like, oh, they killed him off for now. But I'm, yeah, we're going to get him back. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Now that well, I you- mean, I'm, I, it's not even that I don't believe that he wouldn't be back. It's also that like we're not going to get Elnor trying to deal with 21st century Earth and all this stuff. Like I was kind of looking forward to that, too. Yeah, because why did they make the decision to kill him off? You know, it's like, why not? Like, that would be a great opportunity, too, to have him in the 21st century running around. (laughs) Like, that would be an interesting (laughs) storyline right there. But, yeah, why, you know, why is it just because they want to do this for the Raffi character? You know, I don't know. But I mean, I'm I'm gonna trust that they have a good story planned and 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 written out and stuff. Like I'm I'm trusting. My anger was confined to the the probably about ten minutes after it yeah. happened, and then I started to like, okay, all right, I'm gonna go with them. I'm gonna trust them. I'm gonna go along with this story. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not like still angry, yeah. but in the moment I was not happy. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. But I, I think it really worked well, too, to have Raffi arguing with Picard, you know, and even Seven yes. was a little on board, too. It's like, really? You know, you found it more important to conserve the power and route it to the Borg Queen over Elnor? Like, the Queen, we're going to try to save the Queen, but not Elnor. Okay, where are the priorities here, you know? Yeah, I felt for Raffi big time during yeah. that, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's also speaking to Picard's journey as this episode goes on. They're you know, calling calling him out on stuff because it's like, you know, oh, this is just a game between you and Q. You know, oh, it's Q, it's not me, you know, and it's basically Raffi's like, boo, <laughs> <laughs> the Raffi's coming out of me. But I, I, so I enjoyed that scene. I don't, I don't like that 
you know, this happened, but it really, it really confronts Picard. And, and I like that because you didn't see that much in TNG, right? You know, mm-hmm. and to see a crew confront Picard and call him out on stuff. That's, that's an interesting twist to this character. Absolutely. Yeah. And we even, and, and we'll get to Jurati and the, the board queen and stuff too, but I loved Picard talking to her subconscious and Jurati's <laughs> kind of father issues <laughs> and, and translating that over to Picard again, Alison Pill as Jurati is absolutely stealing the show. And, and like, like I said, we'll get to that point where we're talking about her, but I just, that, that whole thing, like sometimes I just want to disobey you because you remind me of my dad or something like that. It's such a great moment. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that. Cause essentially there's two storylines now. So we have the Picard Jurati queen storyline and then we have the raffi seven and rio storyline as they're exploring la so let's stay with the queen and gerardi and picard because hmm, i don't know which storyline i prefer i i like them both but this one was very intriguing to me because i'm worried about gerardi being connected to the queen i mean picard's like there's no way we're doing this no we're not going to connect you to the queen and i'm like you're you're damn right we're not going to do that, right? <laughs> and then, you know, he finally gives in because she convinces him that she can handle this and she can do this stuff. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is a bad idea. And when they're connected and she's going through all her different emotions, like you said, about the daddy issues, and she's got the humor emotion and the sad emotion and all these things are going on. And the queen's in her and the queen starts speaking through her. And then you hear Gerardi speaking through the queen. Oh, man, that was so good. <laughs> that was incredible. And like just as an acting exercise too, like the different emotional rooms, like I could see an actor's workshop, like that being a an exercise that they do or something like that. Like that was great. It was, it was like a master class in acting given by Alison Pill here and Patrick Stewart, of course, acting opposite her. Like it was such a great scene. Well, and that's a good point because Alison Pill's just sitting there and has to express these emotions and move one to the other quickly just with her face. You know, Mm -hmm. she can't move her body to express sadness or anger or happiness. It's all just in her face and switch from one boom to the other instantly. Yeah, I thought she did a great job with that. And then, yeah, all the different rooms in her mind. And then at one point then it starts to get a little scary and Picard has to disconnect her. She passes out. And then in a later scene, there's the queen teasing Picard, challenging him of like, you need me and you can't disconnect me and blah, 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 blah. And all this. And you need me to tell you where the watcher is and when the timeline diverges and all these things, you know, and all this stuff. This is probably my favorite scene of the whole episode. So good. (laughs) (laughs) Because when Girardi wakes up and she's like, are you sure about that? You sure you have the coordinates of the watcher? And the queen's just like, her head just turns like a, like, it reminds me almost like a dog that's like, who? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's very apt that you, that's like a dog curious about something because what's chilling to me about this as well as Gerardi is like, I took that information. I have it. You no longer have it. Computer dictate the file, blah, blah, blah. And it's like that information's there. And the queen's like, 
you've done something that's very difficult to do. You've impressed me. So now Gerardi has the attention of the Borg Collective. Yes. That's not good. That no. That's not good. No. <laughs> and no matter the timeline, because the queen can kind of communicate across timelines, the Borg Collective is going to be after Gerardi now. Yes. They want her. Yes. It's almost like the queen saying, you may have won the battle, but you haven't won the war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But yeah. man. And the queen is like a dog with a bone, right? Yes. She's like, oh, I want Gerardi. This is amazing. Uh, that was good. so good. That scene's so good because Gerardi gets her. She outwitted her. But yeah. And the queen's just like, yeah, well, wait till you see what comes later. <laughs> You're mm-hmm. like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you said, this character Gerardi is really shining this season for us. But then let's go to the other storyline. We go into modern day Los Angeles and we see Raffi and Seven. They kind of team up and. They're in the Sanctuary District. Wait, where have I seen that before? Hmm. Twenty twenty four. Hmm. Yeah, nice little reference there. Of course, the DS nine episodes, past tense, part one and two. Yeah, I kept absolutely. wondering if we were going to see some reference to that since they were going back to twenty twenty four. So I like that little call out, that little connection there. But then Rios is beamed in and. He's, you know, the fire escapes just missing me, falls, boom, down on that sidewalk. And you see the blood coming out of his mouth on the sidewalk. I'm like, oh, Uh, no. And my wife watches. She goes, oh, this is not good. (laughs) Yeah. When he fell initially, I was like, ouch, that looks like it hurt. And then I remembered we're not in a superhero movie and these are real people. And yeah, he's really hurt. (laughs) Well, let me ask you something real quick. This whole idea of finding the Watcher in Los Angeles, when this message was brought to them in this previous episode, and in this one, they're going to search for the Watcher, I keep thinking it's Guinan. Like, and, and and maybe it's not, but I just like keep assuming, well, this is Guinan, right? Guinan's there. Like, I don't know. It may not be that that's the case, but I keep assuming it's Guinan. Like, and I keep thinking, like, why isn't Picard saying, hmm, it might be Guinan? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's possible. That's one theory that's out there. But yeah, yeah there's there's nothing that says it. It definitely is or no. definitely isn't. So, But for some reason in my mind, it's like I'm just convinced every time they say The Watcher, I keep thinking, yeah, Guinan. And then I'm like, well, no, I guess it doesn't have to be. But for some reason, I'm convinced it's Guinan. But we'll see. I- well, one, one thing they say, and I think it's it's Rafi that says it. Maybe that like the watcher, maybe it's an alien or something not of earth on earth at this time. And I'm like, okay, well, let's make a list, shall we? So at this time right now, you have the possibility Guinan could be there. She's not from earth. Uh, We've got maybe some sort of remnant of the um, Henry Starling tech that he stole from Voyager with the, the, Future's End Part 1 and 2 episodes of Voyager. And then I was like, okay, what else do we have? We have a Vulcan on Earth from Carbon Creek in uh, Enterprise. Uh, and, and there's possibly more that I'm not thinking of, but those are the three that kind of popped into my head immediately. I was like, okay, are any of those in L.A.? Is Guinan in L.A.? Is Mistral in L.A.? Um, we know that the 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 Starling tech that was in LA as well. So maybe there's something to do with that. If there's anything left of that, I don't know. 
So yeah, I don't know. There's possibilities. <laughs> I haven't even thought through these. As you're talking through them, the first thing that came to mind was a Vulcan from Carbon Creek. That was the first one that came to mind. And then another one came to mind that you didn't mention, which I'm now hoping is the case, Gary Seven. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gary Seven could be there. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it would be cool if it's Gary Seven and maybe they do a spinoff series like was originally intended when Gary Seven was in TOS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and depending, of course, as we've already mentioned on when this takes place, I don't know if we get a month and day. I'm not sure if they mention anything, yeah. but I know Cisco and Bashir are, of course, in San Francisco in September. So, mm. yeah. yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Well, yeah, because they're going to go to the Mark Ridge Tower, Seven and Raffi, to get a really good signal so they can scan and find maybe some kind of alien detection of something to find this watcher person. But then they get like this weird reading from Rio's badge. It's Is it Morse code? What's going on? And then you see in, in the medical clinic that he's in, the kid's tapping his combat, <laughs> you know, playing with it because he found it when they brought uh, Rios into the clinic. I have to say that I really enjoyed the clinic scenes with Rios mm-hmm. and Teresa, the whole, that whole thing. Cause it seems so familiar and down to earth and the interplay between him and the other characters and the cookies and getting his compadge back. I loved all of this. That was great. And even the, the getting some insight into Rios's past and his experiences as a kid and he's recounting this story and it's getting all of a sudden crack cool story because <laughs> she's resetting his his bones in his hand there that was brutal i winced and jumped at that because i was of course getting into the story that rios was telling and i was like "Ooh, we're learning the backstory of one of our main characters and yeah no that got cut off <laughs> <laughs> yeah when we were watching that my wife says yep i do that all the time with patience <laughs> oh man wow <laughs> yeah but, uh, I, I mean, I kept thinking, too, about how in Star Trek Four takes place in a hospital with Chekhov and, you know, Kirk and McCoy, they're pretending they're doctors. Then we see Rios pretending he's a doctor. And, you know, I, I don't know if that was trying to be a call out to, to Star Trek Four necessarily or not. But I just love the fact that he's in a hospital type. Well, it's not a hospital, but a clinic, medical clinic type setting, too. Yeah. And, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I feel like the call-out might have been a little earlier when Picard's like, no hospitals. Like, I've read reports. I know yes. I know what we need to avoid. That's not good. McCoy yeah. cured this one woman and regrew her kidneys, and the temporal investigations people had a lot of work to do with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in some ways it's kind of interesting that Rios doesn't look around and stuff like, you're going to use that on me? Or like, you know, just looking at stuff as being ancient equipment, you know, but... You know, I mean, you know, if you're going in the past, you don't expect it to be modern day equipment that you're used to. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, and the the police coming, the immigration police coming and and taking him away and Teresa away. And I'm just like, oh, OK, this reminded me of Prodigy because then the focus, the camera focused on his badge there on the table where Picard's like, Rios, Rios, he was calling him and stuff. And then it goes to black. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait for the next scene. And then the credits come. I'm like, it's over? (laughs) That happened to me this time, too. And I was like, no. (laughs) I'm like, you do this to me on Prodigy all the time. No. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I, I, I. 
was shocked by the ending just that it came so soon or it felt so soon to me because I was really getting into the story and yeah, that, that surprised me. <laughs> yeah. And it was also great just to see the scenes of Latinos and they're speaking Spanish and stuff, which we don't, you know, we haven't really seen anything like that in Star Trek. And in a lot of ways we don't have a lot of Latinos or Hispanics in Star Trek like we should. And it was just great to see that too. So I, I, I really enjoyed these scenes and I really enjoyed the whole episode. I think, yeah. I think I like this episode better than the, the last one. Hmm. That's a tough one for me. Yeah. I'm having a hard time comparing just because it's such an ongoing story, but we're definitely into a different phase of the story now with the fish out of water and them in the past and that, that kind of thing. I really appreciated a lot of the commentary it had to make. And obviously we're going to get, I kind of predicted that when Rios was first taken into the clinic and they were talking about no police. Do you have any ID? No. I was like, Oh no. Like Rios, right? He's, he's Latino. There's going to be an immigration issue. I, I was like, there's going to be something and sure enough. Yeah. That's what happens there. Uh, and then, of course, the other social commentary we see, like you said, the sanctuary districts, the people living in desperation there, the fires on the hills oh, of, yeah. around L.A. I'm like, we really are in bad shape. Like, this is not good. And just the way they starkly put it, where they said, like, so many people living like this and and it's still going to not collapse for quite a while yet. Crazy. And I was like, wow, yeah, we're headed for that, aren't we? I, I think we really are. That's Star Trek social commentary at its finest here, and uh, it's not good. That reminds me of something I said to my parents, which they don't get the whole Star Trek thing, <laughs> even though my dad used to watch <laughs> the original series way back in the day. But, you know, I, we were talking about what's going on in Ukraine with Russia, and I said... Yeah, one of my parents said, well, we hope it you know, doesn't continue and get something even bigger. I said, well, in Star Trek, we're supposed to get into World War Three here soon. Anyway. <laughs> like, and now watching this episode is like, are things really going to play out the way Star Trek has portrayed things may play out in the 21st century? I hope not. Uh, well, at least in cases too. of that, <laughs> making contact with the Vulcans is fine. We'll take that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Can we have all the good stuff and none of the bad stuff, please? <laughs> yeah. So how would you rate this then? Yeah, I'm really enjoying this whole season. And and I love this episode. There's so much to like in what's going on and, and so many unanswered questions. It's it's so hard to to rate like chapter three of a 10 chapter novel, right? But yeah, I'm I'm just going to keep going with how much I'm enjoying this season so far, which has to be five out of five really compliant security guards in L.A. skyscrapers. <laughs> you know, he's big, heavy set. <laughs> I don't remember the name. He I can't says. remember. That guy? Yeah, that yeah, guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, not. That was great. He's not funner than me. <laughs> <laughs> i love that that was good too yeah and it's like you know um i think it was seven says oh yeah you know my girlfriend or my fiance and she and rafi's like wait what we're, we're, we're calling ourselves that now you know you can just tell she's like wait, we're going there huh is that real 
And, oh, and that's the other thing I want to call out real quick is Seven saying how more relaxed and accepted she feels that people look at her accepting because she doesn't yeah. have the Borg implants. I mean, that's that's saying something there too. Yeah, there's a couple moments for sure where like she's because in the future, in in everyone looks at her and sees that Borg implant and everybody knows what that means. And she knows that that's the first thing that anyone thinks when they look at her. And she's free of that now and experiencing that for the first time since, you know, she was four years old or whatever. That's amazing. I love the way she played that. That was, I'm glad you brought that up because she was, she played those scenes really well. Yeah. It's like people are accepting me without judging me because of something, how I look or whatever, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that says so much too, but yeah, I, I love this episode. It, it, to your point, it's hard to rate each chapter, you know, I mean, we don't do that in a book. We read the whole book and judge the book. Right. But I'm going to go ahead and say that, yeah, I think I'm, it was enjoying this episode a little more so than I did the, the last episode. I, I just, it's becoming fun and also very interesting. And then the whole Girardi thing with the queen and, and out maneuvering her. I really love that. And the Rio scenes in, in the clinic were great too. So I'm going to say I'm giving this episode five out of five emotional rooms in Girardi's mind. Nice. Great rating. I love it. <laughs> but we'll come back next week with our review of episode four of season two of Picard. We just have one new episode next week. We're not doing a double whammy like we are right now. I'm kind of excited for that. Like I love discovery and this season was terrific, but I'm kind of excited to just be able to focus on the one story for a, for a little while anyway. Yeah, me too. I think so too. But yeah, it's been a fun ride. Enjoyed Discovery. Can't wait till it comes back. And and looking forward to next week's episode of Picard. But in the meantime, Dan, if people want to reach out to you or find you online, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm also on YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. And of course, in the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. Oh, yes. What a wonderful group of people in that group. So if you're not part of that, join us in the Facebook group. It's a great group of people. We also have a Goodreads group that shows our upcoming novels for our book club episodes. And you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. And you can also email me at Admiral underscore Rex at Yahoo.com. My daughter's always like, who has Yahoo emails, even though they do too. But anyway, <laughs> I've had that. I've had my Yahoo. I have two different email accounts with Yahoo and I've had them since 1995. Wow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> for a long time. I've got other email. I've got a bunch of email addresses out there, but uh, Gmail and all that stuff. But if you want to email the show, positively trek at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at positively trek. And thank you again to our patrons on Patreon for supporting the show. We can't do it without you. There are some costs involved in keeping the show up and going, and it helps us to cover those costs. So we really do appreciate it, and we appreciate all our listeners here to the show. And so that being said, Dan and I just want to tell you to go out in the world today and stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.